Morning Show. Sportsline 590, the fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. A lot of screaming in the studio before 6 o'clock in the morning as the Europeans wrapping up a four-cob sweep of the Americans to open up the Ryder Cup, Brent. Tough. I know you're excited about that. Yeah, tough day for anybody in my vicinity who is at all remotely interested in golf. Because mm. if you're just not a golf person, I'm going to keep this all inside. But, buddy, I you're am. wearing a golf shirt. I know. You are a golf person. I you am. and I are going to play golf today. So you oh. better believe you're getting every single <laughs> Ryder Cup thought oh percolating God. in my brain. Oh my so I, I'll just start off the show. You know, new relationships, still getting to know one another. Yeah. I'm sorry if I've been oversharing. I will not stop. I will continue to hammer you with Ryder Cup thoughts, uh, both here and when when we take breaks. It'll happen all day long. Yeah. You're gonna get them for four more hours after this. So Yay. like, just be ready. All right. It's Ryder Cup take day, and oh god, big Blue Jays win last night as well. Yeah, we're we're gonna get uh, to more of your Ryder Cup thoughts a little later on in the program. But the Blue Jays, they they do improve to two and one in must win games, as decided by me as they take care of business against Luke Weaver and the New York Yankees, salvaging one of the three games, 6 nothing over the Yankees. So out-of-town scoreboard, not necessarily kind to the Blue Jays as the, the Mariners were down to their final out against the Texas Rangers in a, in a super important series for both of those teams as they try to punch their ticket. And David Freeze stepped it. No, no, no. J.P. Crawford, though, playing the role of David Freeze. Uh, bases loaded double with two outs <laughs> to walk it off for the M. So the, the situation is the same as it was going into yesterday's game. As the, the Blue Jays, two up on Seattle, not controlling the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. One up on the Astros, who were idle. So, yeah, we, we don't get those half games anymore, which I always no. that they're, they're kind of poison for the eyes to see, like, the .5 <laughs> uh, in, in the standing. So the magic number... Remains at two okay. for the Blue Jays when it comes to both the Astros and the Mariners. Um, it's two against the Astros, despite it only being a one-game difference mm-hmm. between the two because they control the tiebreaker yep. don't against Seattle. So any combination of Blue Jays wins or Mariners losses or Astros losses combining to two and the Blue Jays clinch their spot. Fangraph still has them at over a 90% chance of making the playoffs, 93% also the Orioles winning yesterday clinched the American League East for them. So the Rays come into town for this three-game series with nada to play for, like absolutely nothing. And and beyond that, a potential first-round series matchup against the Blue Jays where they probably don't want to tip their hand or give mm-hmm. them an extra look at, at guys that are actually going to be relevant in that playoff series. So again, the situation looks good. If you can score some runs, which they did yesterday against a guy who's been a career journeyman, was just DFA'd. Mm-hmm. They, they scored six runs, the big blast, Brandon Belt. Um, it's right there for the Blue Jays still. That playoff hitter face that he has helped him get it out. Maybe, maybe it's just that he's a good hitter. It was so crucial for them to win. I mean, could you imagine? Forget how it played out last night. It could be 6 nothing the other way. It could be a one nothing loss. It could be a heartbreaker in some form or fashion. You imagine you lose that game, and then everyone goes to bed mad as is. And then they wake up and see what happened in Seattle. Oh, my God. It would be full-blown panic city. So now you do not have to deal with that. Now, still time for a little bit of panic. They lose tonight, and Seattle continues to win. Things get a little hairier, a little dicier. Now, the other thing that I think is interesting about this race series coming up is that, again, in other sports, maybe the idea of, oh, this team doesn't have much to play for, you say, "Eh, do you really want to go into the playoffs with a bit of a exhibition type feel where the other team isn't locked in. No, in baseball, that's great because just teeing off and playing, 
facing pitchers that you will not face in the postseason, mm-hmm. getting your guys in a good rhythm, have them feeling good at the plate. Conversely, your pitchers performing well, all that can only, only benefit you and the fact that you need to take care of business still. So it was massive to get that last night. Massive that it came in relatively stress-free fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, the Jays scoring early feels so much more important. And I know that this is just dumb anecdotal, but it feels so much more important for them than it does other teams in baseball. It feels like if that zero in the run column or if the just one or two in the hit column festers deeper and deeper in the game, it just seems like it's so hard for this team to kind of pull itself out of it. So really nice to see them put up the big-ish number and really nice that it came early on in the game as well. Well, and I'd see Chris Bassett get his nice round number oh, yeah, of 200 pitchers, yeah. innings uh, this season in one of his best starts of the, the season. Goes seven and two-thirds, 12 strikeouts, throws 106 pitches, and like I said, John Schneider allowed him to come back out for the eighth inning to get the two outs that he required. I imagine he told him, hey, buddy, if you allow one base runner, I this is it. Mm-hmm. So you, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity, but you got to make it count. He gets to 200 innings for the first time in his entire career. ERA of 3.6. There are some spectacular numbers from Chris Bassett, especially when you consider Brent. Mm-hmm. He started the season with, like, quite literally the worst start not of the season of his career <laughs> so bad <laughs> in St. Louis. Like he, he puts on the blue Jays uniform, steps out onto yep. a mound in St. Louis goes three and a third, giving up nine earned runs on four home runs. <laughs> and blue Jays fans, I think rightly were like, what the hell did we sign ourselves yes, up for? Very much so. A guy that just, you know, put up some pretty good numbers in the national league before that put up some pretty good numbers in a very hitter or pitcher friendly mm-hmm. ballpark in Oakland what is this guy um, in the American League East, despite the fact that that was in St. Louis? Uh, since then, he's been absolutely lights out for the Blue Jays, and you feel great about the fact that he's under contract for two more years at $44 bucks. You go back to where it started. The worst part of it isn't just that when he did have that start, it was very much a all-hands-on-deck viewing experience. And then I can't remember if it was the next one out or it was his second, third, fourth start of the season, whatever it was. He had the complete game shutout up against a Leaf playoff game. So not <laughs> only was the bad as highlighted as it could possibly been, mm-hmm. the great, not good, not merely good, not okay, the transcendent outing that he did have to kind of win people back over almost happened in a cloak of darkness because it was completing against NHL playoffs and, and all of that. So, yeah, it's been a weird season for for Bassett. It's been nice to see him kind of come on strong. He's had a few massive outings when they've needed it from him as this team's been scuffling. And not that Gosman hasn't been the stopper, but there have been a few moments where Bassett's kind of been that guy for them, especially kind of just thinking from kind of late August to where we are now. I think of the two eight-inning uh, appearances he had, and it's just been really, really nice to see him all of these guys been able to fulfill at different times, really key roles with the exception of Alec Manoa. Sorry. Yeah. And, and I was of the belief and maybe still am of the belief that Jose Barrios is your game two starter and it's the Yankees, right? Like again, yeah. that that's not, that's not an offensive juggernaut, but at this time of year, you're just looking for who's the, the hottest arm or bat at the moment they get to keep playing, especially if oh, Kevin Kiermaier, he, uh, oh, you mean production one? Okay. No, I'm just I'm I'm talking about getting the start in game two of the wild card series again. I'm just saying the, Kevin Kiermaier's hot. That was just a, oh, he's a hot man joke. Very that's all. attractive. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I, no, I follow. Okay, I'm smart. Um, <laughs> I I might I might actually lean towards starting Chris Bassett in game two against the Rays if in fact you you punch your ticket 
which can happen as early as tonight in game one. Aaron Savali, by the way, getting the start for the Rays, uh, who has an ERA over five since joining Tampa this season Big against Yusei, K- yeah, Yusei Kikuchi, uh, is going to jump the queue over top of uh, Hunjin Ryu as the Blue Jays, just it, it, trying to force the issue here yes. naturally. I don't know. I might lean towards the guy that just looked at his absolute best, and it's not like Jose Barrios has been horrible recently, but, I mean, on, on the strength of who's who's given you the better chance of winning more recently, I think I might lean Bassett. And, and I don't know, the argument against him was that there wasn't a ton of swing and miss or not as much. It's 12 strikeouts. I don't, again, Yankees, but I, I might lean to the, the hot hand in a game two if, in, in fact, the Blue Jays do punch their ticket. One at bat shouldn't be enough to make me think this way, but the whole worry about you, and you rightfully pointed out, if it's the Yankees. Okay, Aaron Judge was still there. That's and true. I saw him tie up Judge... With uh, and Caleb Joseph was mystified by it, as you pointed out yeah, to me, yeah. a 89 mile an hour cutter high and inside. And if you could tie up Aaron Judge, I think that's a pretty good, uh, you know, benchmark for what type mm-hmm. of hitter you'll see in the postseason. You might even see a few that aren't quite a- as good as him. I still do get scared by the repertoire. Mm-hmm. And hey, we saw him run it up to 96 at, at one point in time last night. We did see that from him. But I, that's not the guy he is. He can occasionally give you that, but that's not where he wants to live. And when you are just getting by as that type of pitcher in a playoff series, it's, we always talk about it. It's Velo, it's strikeouts, and to your point, 12 of them. But also the Yankees, I, I still think that if Kikuchi can show anything... Mm. That's the guy I feel more confident in than Bassett. And, you know, you look at the, some of the playoff stuff in the past. There's also, and I imagine a lot of Jays starters have this ERA, you know, run and a half worse on the road than it is at home. Again, we've talked about all yeah. the home pitching stuff, but they're going to not be at home. They're going to be on the road. Well, so you got to look at all of that's it. an interesting proposition, especially considering that Kikuchi was bumped up uh, to make the start tonight, because if he did, the, the wild card series would start on Tuesday. Kevin Gosman obviously starting in that game. And yep. ideally you don't have to Hopefully, use him. In, if, yeah. Yeah. yeah game 162 but uh, all things being equal that would mean Kikuchi could start game two on normal rest now Bassett would have extended rest if he's Mm -hmm. in in that game two situation the Blue Jays wrap it up tonight and you don't have to worry about Jose Barrios he could be on super extended rest but back to 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 Bassett for a second we talk we've been talking a lot about faces and Mm -hmm. whether you have a closer face and whether you've got a playoff performer face Chris Bassett has like a competitor face it doesn't always work out but Boy, he wears it mm-hmm. and and has a high bar of, of success, which I love um, and and really obviously wanted to, to go back out for the eighth inning to, to get his 200 innings, which you know, over 33 starts is averaging over six innings per start, which in, in 2023 is quite a thing. Yeah. Uh, here is here is Bassett after the game about what that milestone means to him. I'm not going to try to get emotional, guys, tonight, but uh, yeah. Um... I, th- I think it's the benchmark for the elite pitchers is 200 innings. I, I, I get throwing 160, I've done it. I get throwing 180, I've done it. But to get to 200 innings, you have to have so many people to trust you. You have to have so much, so much work behind the scenes that people don't see. Um, it's been my only goal forever. Um, so to get it, um, to have this organization believe in me like they do, it, it, it means the world to me. Being that important to you, how are you? All right. Um, this is a guy that's finished top 10 in American League Cy Young award voting twice in his career. 
But again, has never been a 200 inning guy throughout the course of his career. And if you're again, like looking at the tea leaves, which way the Blue Jays might be leaning as far as a game two starter in a wild card round. He's right. You got to have so many people believe in me is what he said. That, that seems pretty clear that John Schneider believes in Chris Bassett, maybe occasionally to his own detriment, not yesterday, but, but yeah, John Schneider believes in, in what Chris Bassett has done this season. And he believes in the attitude, obviously get someone who believes in you the way John Schneider believes in his guys. This guy loves to believe he wants to manage in the, she believes cup that the Canada <laughs> women's soccer team plays in because he loves belief mm-hmm. so much. Bassett, you know, you you can tell right there. And this is a guy who, you know, I think sometimes we get so bogged down of, you know, milestones and what they mean to the elite of the elite. Like, you know, LeBron James became the NBA's all-time leading scorer. You see it with, you've seen it with Pujols and the milestones he was able to get late in his career. This is so clearly a massive one for a guy like Bassett who, I don't want to understate what he is in the game. He's a tremendous pitcher. He's had a very nice career, but that is something he is going to hang his hat on. It's not going to be going to Cooperstown. It's not going to be on the level of excellence somewhere. It's that. He's going to be able to say it took the ball for 200 innings. Mm-hmm. In the year 2023, it just is such a, and again, you know, we talk about it with strikeout milestones. That is greatness. And there's obviously you love to give people the, or you love to laud them for that, rightfully so. But there's something about just a milestone of just being out there every day and being someone your team can rely on. And again, in the year 2023, it's even more rare and even more special. Last time Blue Jays pitcher had, uh, a 200 inning season. Marcus Stroman in 2017. It's it's been a, min- a minute since a, a Blue Jays pitcher was uh, one effective enough to go that deep that often, but uh, two was given the opportunity to go that deep that often. So congratulations to Chris Bassett, Brandon Belt. Um, I, one more thought on him, who comes up with the mm-hmm. multi run home run, the the backbreaker, the the the. A uh, sigh of relief for the Blue exhaler. Jays That's what I was thinking, yeah. Because at 3-0, at you feel pretty good, mm. but it, it does require one of those high-leverage relievers mm-hmm. and, and a guy probably in Jordan Romano yeah. who's given up runs in back-to-back outings for Brandon Belt to come through with the three-run home run, turn a 3-0 lead into a 6-0 lead was massive for, for everybody's collective uh, coronaries. Um, but also the fact that Brandon Belt and we mentioned this is one of the things that I was I was going to key on in these final games, how he looked coming off the IL because it at various points this season has felt like it's taken him a, uh, a bit of time to one, get his timing back or two, look like he's at his best beginning of the season. First time he came off the IL, he looks great. And if you're projecting what to what the Blue Jays could look like in the postseason, you got to figure his 37 career postseason games, 151 plate appearances in the postseason could could loom large for this team. He's been a huge part of this Blue Jays offense when they figured it out, when they've gone on their brief runs. Yeah, you touched on the Romano thing there, and I do want to get to that, but sticking to sticking to belt, it is, you know, and obviously George Springer is a more versatile player, but it is just a replay of all the conversations we had last year about Springer heading towards the postseason of you need this guy healthy. You did not, you did not go out and acquire him for him to be the sage veteran voice in the room in the middle of August or in the middle of June or in the middle of May. You didn't get it for those times. You got it for October and for playoff pushes and for playoff games. And it's not just about what they're able to do in the lineup. It is about the 
calming experience, the veteran advice. The, you know, there's a difference between Donnie Baseball putting his hand on your shoulder and saying, oh, 20 years ago, I remember, and Brendan Belt, no, five years ago, I remember, or I've been in these moments and I'm still an active player. I'm part of the team. It just, this is the time that you need him, him coming back and actually being able to hit the ground running, uh, although not his strong suit running, but uh, it's been nice to see and really, really honestly important for the Jays. Like all we ever talked about was lefty power bat last year. And I know they overcorrected to a certain extent, but you still need that guy there. And also, I know we're sticking on belt here, but lefty power bat, Dalton Varshow going deep as well in the game. Yeah, his third first pitch home run this season, which is, it's become my hobby horse to talk about Dalton Varshow and how many first pitch home runs he hit a season ago. Again, Todd, if, if you haven't heard this, and oh, I guess I haven't talked about it on this show yet, Dalton Varshow led the major leagues of baseball with 10 first pitch home runs a season ago for a Diamondbacks team that wasn't very good. Yeah. So that feels like a guy ambushing opposing pitchers. You're allowed to hit home runs on the first pitch. And yeah, Aaron judge also hit 10 first pitch home runs a season ago. So it doesn't disqualify those home runs. Uh, It's a legit uh, offensive weapon. It has been one of the major areas that you can point to as to why Dalton Varsho is not having the same offensive season. So ambushes a first pitch yesterday. Also Matt Chapman with a home run, to the opposite field yesterday. I, like, a little I was, less assertive, yeah. <laughs> I was I, I, I was preparing to, to come on the radio today and talk about um, the fact that you cannot continue to abide this Matt Chapman offensive black hole, mm. um, even considering the defense, which, I, again, I, I feel well, like... It was that play last night. It was bang, bang, coming from third. Yeah, it was... Um, and he had one that he deflected the ball away from Bo Bichette, uh, a play that... that might have been uh, made by Bo if he lets it go. But yeah, a huge home run for him, despite the fact that now he's hitting eighth in the lineup, I think understandably so. So a couple of good signs for the Blue Jays. It would really, really serve them well to clinch this thing as early as possible. If that's tonight against the Rays, well, one, to get rid of the, the potential collapse thoughts, and two, really line things up well get some guys that haven't gotten into Mm -hmm. baseball games in a while into the lineup, specifically Davis Schneider. Um, but we'll see. I mean, you just you just want to get in. Fangraphs has them at over a 93% chance of getting back over 90. That's that's good. Uh I do want to go back to Romano just in terms of things you want to see this weekend. Again, the thing you want to see is them clinching a spot at the earliest possible time. Given your druthers, I imagine you would want one more Romano appearance so he can have the clean outing and yeah. get right. But that also brings the possibility of him stubbing his toe for a third consecutive time. Do you, you want Romano getting the ball in these next three games? Well, Do you I want mean, them to force it? Where where are you at on Romano's usage for the for the next three days? Well, I, I find it hard to believe that they're going to give him run if they clinch, right? Just to get him in there and get a clean inning. I mean, if he's getting into a baseball game, it's likely that the Blue Jays are leading said baseball game, so that's good, despite the fact that, yeah, they're playing a Rays team with nothing to play for. I I, I don't think it's priority number one. I, got, I was actually a little bit surprised, despite the fact that it was 6-0, that the Blue Jays leaned into the Chris Bassett individual stat thing yesterday, bringing him back out for the eighth inning instead of perhaps deciding what was more prudent was uh, locking as far it down. as yeah. Yeah, getting the victory. And, and Bassett looked great in getting those two outs anyway, so, so no big deal. But yeah, I, I, if that's going to happen, like if you're going to think about ancillary things um, like getting Jordan Romano into a baseball game before the postseason, that's likely to happen in in 
the final game of the season on Sunday because, okay, I guess it's possible the Blue Jays clinch tomorrow, but the more likely scenario is a Saturday clinching affair, which would leave you one game to to play with. And then do you really want a guy that you might need for more than three outs in a postseason game uh, getting into uh, the last game of the season, despite the fact there's an off day on Monday. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. The idea of, you know, you can have your supposed to be bulletproof closer not having thrown, and I know he will have pitched and thrown, but you understand what I mean, not having taken the ball in a game for a week after getting touched up his last two times out. I'm with you. I don't want to throw him out there just for the sake of it. I think the best case scenario is that it is somewhat comfortable and it's a, you know, two run lead or something tonight. And he's just able to lock it down. And then that's his get right. And you don't have to see him again until postseason. That is the best case scenario where I think it does get interesting as if, if they take care of business and they don't need him, but maybe they can use him. Uh, they could really use Vlad um, getting, getting right after, uh, Oh, that's my computer. Settle down, settle down, Buck. Uh, <laughs> they could really use Vlad getting right after yesterday's three strikeout performance again against Luke Weaver, a guy with an ERA over over uh, five. Like we've all ridden the roller coaster of of the season that that has it's had. been a boring roller coaster. It's just like woo ah, yeah. ooh, ah. Um, he broke his bat yesterday. Ooh. But not in the manner that's the most satisfying. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a satisfying bat break in his career, but it was it was kind of a similar thing where he slammed his yes. bat and then, and then it, it cracked and then he broke it over his knee. I shared on Twitter one of my favorite bat breaks by a Blue Jays player, mm. which was Travis Snyder striking out and then immediately just, just right snap. to yep. the knee. Like that's a legit bat break. It's also a psycho move. It's it, you got to be confident that that thing's breaking over your knee, yeah. and I can't imagine that feels great. But yeah, Vlad obviously not at his most confident right now. Um, had the the base hit, but it was a, a bloop single. So, so we'll see if he can get right here in these three games against the Rays starting. Yeah, time. another thing you need to watch for uh, in terms of bat breaks. Obviously, not a Blue Jay. Nothing will ever be cooler than than Bo Jackson just subtly shaping a bat to the sh- yeah. to the shape of his head. Right. Uh, just really subtly bending it over and breaking it. Uh, that will always be the coolest one. We've done this all year long with Vlad, where we sit here and we go, maybe this can turn around. Maybe he's seeing this. Maybe he's seeing that. He had the hot stretch. Like, he did have the, what was it, five homers and nine games or whatever kind of leading into mm-hmm. this year. Those those runs are fewer and farther between, not this year, but just every year outside of that. Mm-hmm. If he can recapture that form, it is going to be a very, very different Blue Jays team. But I think given the way things have gone with him outside of that one year, Personally, it looks like he got hot, which I know everyone hates because there's no, there shouldn't be a bad time to get hot. But guess what? He got hot at the wrong time. And if he can replicate that in a week's time, great. Mm-hmm. What have we seen this year to make us think that that is going to be the case? It's not to say it's impossible. It's baseball. He has the ability to do it. We have literally seen it. Mm-hmm. But these runs are not usually super closely clustered together. Usually pretty big schisms between them. All right, uh, three-game series against the Rays to wrap up the season. A potential clinching scenario tonight against the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. We'll talk to John Morosi after 7 o'clock. Thursday night football, the Detroit Lions taking care of the Packers at Lambeau. Mm -hmm. 34-20. to So now the the season opening victory for for the Lions wasn't like overly impressive, and there was no Chris Jones for the Chiefs. It was at Arrowhead. So now the Lions do have just factually Mm -hmm. victories at Arrowhead, and now at 
Lambo, there, there's so many offensive weapons. The first half of that football game was not close. Ended up being a couple-score game. But, yeah, there, there's just – I'm on St. Brown. I, like Sam Laporta, the, the rookie tight end. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, who's not even getting the line share no. touches. Like, that is an exciting Lions team. Uh, exciting enough that the NFL thought it prudent enough to start them in game one of the NFL season against the, the defending Super Bowl champions. That's a huge pressurized situation for a team that is on the come up but hasn't accomplished anything. So kudos to them who, like, man, you you look at the, the start for the Vikings and they're 0-3 start. All three games, one-score games after being 11-0 and in, in one-score games a season ago. Who the Packers, could have seen that coming? The Packers being like, okay, meh. And they had a big comeback last week against the Saints and then the Bears being one of the worst teams in all of football. It does feel like the, the Lions division to take here. Oh, it's very wide open. There is no reason that they should not, to a certain extent, waltz to this division title. I mean, yeah, the Bears, abject failures. The Vikings will have a three-week stretch where Kirk Cousins does a few things we convince ourselves that he's not Kirk Cousins or for, for some reason. And then, yeah, Jordan Love, you know, if he had sat literally anywhere else in the world for the last three, four years, we wouldn't think of him the way we do. He seems like a totally fine young NFL quarterback, but given the tutelage he's had, given the, you know, the, the reps he's had with that org, I think you'd like him to kind of take the ball and run with it a little more. And look like the Jared Goff thing, you know, we can, we can roll our eyes at it, but the Rams got to a Super Bowl with with him. They didn't win it. They won it with Stafford there. But, you know, this is a guy who has shown that he can be that quarterback on a good offensive team. It's not to say he's the one driving the bus. No, he's not Pat Mahomes. No one's putting him in that category. Mm-hmm. But he's also not a game manager either. He's a guy who can make uh, some plays. The, the running back Gibbs, I was... I was convinced that that was going to be the thing that undid their season and not that they couldn't use him, but just that there would be a glaring hole and there would be some obvious first round pick that would have been, ah, why didn't you just take player X to have yeah. filled that hole? But he's, he's done a great job of giving them just more op, uh, options. So yeah, kudos to the lions. They somehow avoided the Detroit curse, which I really didn't think was possible. Uh, yeah, so far. I mean, they have one playoff win since 1963, right? That, that still remains the case and, and, until they they once again get into the postseason and, again, for just the second time since 1963, win a postseason game. Yeah, the, the, the curse probably still I would, exists. I would love nothing more than for the Lions to find a way. I went to school in Windsor. All those people there just basically considered themselves from Detroit, uh, and it was just, but they're all Canadian. So they're like, I'm a Leaf fan, but everything else Detroit. And uh, yeah, that was a bad pick because I was, well, the wings were good and every other team was bad. So I always, I always feel for my, uh, my, my Tigers fans that I know or Lions fans that I know. And I know lots of them. So yeah, I hope they're able to come through. I really do. It is like these downtrodden they franchises. It. They do, man. Like they, they're so bad again. Like, you know, maybe this gets papered over a little bit. They have been so bad for back to back generations mm-hmm. the generational talents just said you know what i'm good on football i'll just quit <laughs> right. barry sanders yes and then it happened again right. with calvin johnson mm-hmm. they if honestly if a leaf fan can say this if anybody deserves it yeah. it's you lions fans yeah hey listen 1963 was was before 1967 so jordan love wasn't um, horrible. It wasn't spectacular either. He, it was 23 of 36 for 246 yards, a couple of picks, touchdown. First pick was was deflected. 
Um, and, and he had the big comeback in the fourth quarter against the Saints last week, and the Packers are, are two and two. But the, the bar has to be higher for Jordan Love, considering like multitude of different things. One, that like his selection in the first round single-handedly started a chain of events that forced a future Hall of Famer to decide he to was tear not his kid. Achilles. <laughs> it's yeah. his fault. Who was going to force his way out of town. And two, that he sat behind a future Hall of Famer in 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 an era in which that is not routinely done, in which we see first-round quarterbacks start week one all the time, a bunch of them starting in the NFL this season. If this was Jordan Love just being selected a couple of months ago, you'd have an understanding that, hey, there's maybe some growth opportunities here. No, he needed to hit the ground running again. It hasn't all been... As bad as it was yesterday, had the big comeback against the Saints, where they 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 were they were down, they were getting shut out going into the fourth quarter, and a couple of touchdowns, including a two point convert to, to to put themselves back over five hundred. But I think if you're a Packers fan, it's hard not to feel like he's just another guy. He he's a he's an interesting category of just another guy, though, because unlike Kirk Cousins, who's just another guy, the elite truly. Truly the elite of the genre of being just another guy. But there is a steadiness to that just other guy. You're going to get this. I firmly believe Jordan Love, and it's not just me believing it. We've seen it. He has high-end talent to make high-end plays. And you will see those throws. You will see him have drives like that. And that is arguably way more frustrating Mm -hmm. to have the guy who is capable of you sitting there going, that should be an automatic 12 wins every year. What are we even talking about here? And then you see the guy who you say, hmm, are we going to be having a conversation in a year about taking another quarterback maybe in the first round of the draft? Because that's what you have to do. If there's, there's no point of having this middle ground quarterback in the NFL. You just try again and go now, obviously moving off him would be quite the departure giving everything that's happened here, but that's what he is. You're right. He is just another guy with the ability to play a game that makes him look like a top seven quarterback in the league, but he also can look like the 22nd best on any given day. Yeah. I think if you're going to have a, just a guy, mm-hmm. obviously with the young guy, you love him showing the flashes of upside, but if you're going to have just a guy, Give me the the you know the cousins golf kind of style and maybe unfair to call golf just a guy, but you understand what I'm saying? Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jared Goff has been to a Super Bowl. Uh, I didn't play all that well. First overall pick, uh, and uh, Sean McVay decided that he played so poorly in that Super Bowl that he had I'm going to send him to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it's hard not to to feel like the, the Lions are the class of uh, the NFC North. All right, when we come back, you get to espouse on the Ryder Cup. Uh, Thank you. Also, there's new reporting on the Dame Lillard trade from the Portland Trailblazers to the Milwaukee Bucks from Chris Haynes of Bleacher Report. Um, And part of it is the Blazers getting a little hanky at the end of the regular season with a potential. I'm shocked at this news. Dame Lillard injury that wasn't and some emotions at play in the decision to send him to Milwaukee and not Miami. That and more next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brant Gunning, Ryder Cup is underway, has been underway since 1.30 
in the morning. Um, I I hate how they don't just call foursomes alternate shot, and I hate how they don't call four ball best ball. Like I every year or yeah. every couple of years, every every time there's a a a Ryder Cup or a Presidents Cup, yeah. I have to re. I just have to remind myself what exactly it means. Like. Who's going to be confused if you call it alternate shot? I mean, best ball, I could see how there yeah, would be maybe a little. People think that's scramble. No, mm-hmm. no. Best ball is, I mean, people know. People people who know who know, best ball just means the best score on the hole yep. takes the the hole. Um, but, yeah, why? Why, why, why can't my, we just, just use proper English? So I used to have this problem, and then I opened my brain, mm. and I realized that one of them is called four balls. I know. Which means there's four balls I know. There's in only play. two balls right. and four sums. weird if they were like, the we're, four sum. But why the call them balls? The, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't be good. But, yeah, four ball. There's also a foursome. Like, why is it called foursomes? I, I don't understand. I would I would hear calling it pairs or something like that. I'd, yeah. I'd hear that. I'd, foursomes it right. connotes nothing. I mean, to me, you know what it connotes to me? What? The sweet Ryder Cup is here. Yeah. That's all that I need to know is I start seeing this janky language that I never see in any other time in my life. And yeah. I know sweet, sweet Ryder Cup is here. Well, and um, it might be over. <laughs> the Europeans are blasting yes. the Americans. So this, uh, according to Justin Ray on Twitter, who, who is, is the golf stat guy. He has all the stats when it comes to golf. This is the first time Europe has ever swept the opening session of the Ryder Cup. It's just the second instance of one side sweeping the first session of the Ryder Cup and no matches reaching 18. They were all wrapped up before yep. the 18th hole. So if sorry to the fans who were like camped out at, at 18 <laughs> waiting Tough. to see some golf. They've yet to see it. Now the, the afternoon uh, four ball... Yes. is underway where the Americans can make up some ground. But yeah, if you, if you are of the belief that um, that foursomes is more of a team mm-hmm. event and that the Europeans coalesce more um, from a personal relationship standpoint, this makes a whole lot of sense. And maybe the Americans can make it back up in the afternoon here. Yeah, the idea that, you know, when you get to just go play your own golf ball and in theory not worry who, about who your partner is or what they're doing, yeah, that feels like it kind of goes a little better for the Americans typically. But getting off to this is massive, massive for Europe. I mean, there were some tight, tight moments late. Rory McIlroy effectively stamped home. Well, not effectively. did stamp home the morning session when it got to 17, and he was one up on, on Shoffley and Cantlay, him and Fleetwood, and he stuck it to within, I don't know, a foot, maybe two. So uh, that was a great way for Europe to kind of stamp it home. And just for me personally, I was very mm-hmm. worried about a narrative standpoint mm-hmm. where Europe won three of the four opening matches, and the only one they lost was Rory's. I was very, very <laughs> worried about that just for me personally. So I'm happy I was able to to avoid that. And I'm just going to, again... Just a little PSA here. Never again. And this is no shots to the people of uh, of Rome and Italy. It's too late or too early or whatever one it is. I can't have it. it starting at three in the morning. I know a lot of you are saying that's disgusting too. It is, but you have to make peace with it. Three in the morning is a totally fine Ryder Cup it's or totally UK start time. Fine. 
we cannot be doing 1.30 a.m. Like, what am I, what am I going to do on Sunday morning when I have to get up to watch these singles that will probably start at, like, 2 in the morning or something? So, so have you been engaged with, with some of the early matches here? Because, like, I have only been watching peripherally, and I did see that, that Rory's match did go at least a little deeper. Yeah. Um, and Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth are, are pairing for this afternoon four ball, which feels like the the glamour uh, pairing against Victor Hovland and, and Terrell Hatton. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what? Like, do we have takeaways from the first four matches of this thing? Yeah, John Rahm, this will this will shock you all. He looks super locked in and is very good at golf mm. and doing a lot of vamos after mm. big putts in a country not all that far from uh, his own uh, his own home country of Spain. Uh, that pair was the best for the Europeans in the in the first session. The, it is a little interesting to me that Spieth and Thomas they are seen as not just the glamour pair in terms of hey, it's the American wonder kids, but they have been far and away the Americans' most successful team, so you would think you'd want to play them in the format that the Americans have struggled in more as opposed to this four ball or best ball, if that makes it easier for people out there mm-hmm. in the afternoon session. A little surprising, Kepka sat in the first session as well. He is your, he's your you know, bleep-talking American who has no problem getting out there and taking it all on, so I was a little surprised to see that. Uh, and then, yeah, McElroy and Fleetwood, they were the ones who were in toughest, but they were in against maybe... Uh, one of the other best American teams in in Shoffley and Cantlay, who, you know, say what you will about their ability to close majors. But uh, in this event, they've been uh, pretty, pretty nails uh, together there. So, yeah, I'd say those are the kind of big uh, overarching takeaways uh, from from this morning. All right. Uh, the Americans have the cup, so they only have to tie. They only need 14 <laughs> points. It. Yeah, to retain the cup. And, of course, they... Their their best event is where the the little corporations unto themselves yes. get to play in the, the singles. singles on Sunday. Um, and there's the most points up for grabs mm-hmm. on, on that side. Everybody's got to play. You can't hide anybody. Yeah. So it, it's it's hard to, to count the Americans out at this point. But yeah, I, I, if you were of the belief that the Europeans on European soil going to smoke the Americans, you got that reinforced early this morning. Hey, I... Uh... I will say it until I've jinxed it enough and I lose all my money. Uh, but I feel really good at grabbing Europe at plus 167 when I when I did. And uh, last I checked, uh, America was um, was uh, plus 300 to win mm. now, and Europe was like minus 300. So there you go. All right. Uh, we'll continue to monitor the Ryder Cup throughout the course of the program. Uh, I mentioned before the break that there are, are there are a few more details coming out of the Dame Lillard um Portland Trailblazers situation. Chris Haynes of Bleacher Report. Um, this is from his latest quote. According to sources, Portland had asked Lillard to sit out the final 10 games of the 2022-23 regular season to help the franchise improve its lottery odds. He was told the higher the draft pick, the better chance they had at using the pick to facilitate a trade for a proven veteran player. He reluctantly acquiesced to being shut down, citing a calf injury. Portland went 1-9 to finish the season, would go on to uh, win the number three pick, select Scoot Henderson, a promising young point guard the team planned to keep. So, like, obviously, but also, uh, and and this is, there's no quotes here, this is just a report, mm-hmm. but but the, it's, it's one it's thing. It's a report of the truth is what it is. <laughs> it's one thing for us to all assume this is the case. This is obviously sourced, and Chris Haynes, one of the more reliable NBA insiders, we got there has to be follow-up to this because if there is any evidence of of malfeasance it's it again it's it's one thing to have a legitimate injury or maybe exaggerate an injury to make one up out of complete thin air 
is a different deal. And especially now that Dame Lillard is no longer a part of the Portland Trailblazers, perhaps upon interviewing him, if there is an invest an investigation by the NBA, could be some interesting times ahead. I honestly didn't even think about that part of it, that Lillard has... No reason not to just completely spill the beans right now. 100%. The problem with this, with the NBA, is how much do you want to make out of this? Because if you go after Portland, I imagine Portland. And look, nobody likes it, okay? If you're like, you know, I know I have a lot of friends who are teachers out there and they don't like it when it's, you see, you're you're like, you're dealing with a child and behavior issues. But Susie does it. I'm dealing with you right now. There will be a lot of, Mm -hmm. oh, but they do it, but they do it, but they do it across the NBA. And guess what? Portland will have every leg to stand on because they would not be the first, second, third, hundred thousandth team in NBA history to, or, and I don't want to make this just about the NBA. We've seen NHL teams have star players just uh, go bye-bye towards the end of a season if it's if it's not, if there's nothing left to play for. So we see this all the time. The league obviously has to do something about this. If they're going to have these rules about load management and stars playing in marquee games and all of these things, but the league also has to be very careful with just how much they want to attack this because all of a sudden you could be finding yourself in a position where you have to punish every team in the league? Yeah, well, Brent, the, there's no chance they wanted to investigate this at all. And maybe <laughs> maybe there's a situation where they can just pretend that this reporting is not taking place. Oh, fake fake MRI of Dame's calf or something? I will say that the, the, the nature of, one, the report, and two, the reporter, Chris Haynes, being as, as locked into All Matters NBA as he is, it does feel like this is a story that's not going away. Again, if there's one thing implicitly to do this. It's one thing to explicitly do this. It's also worth reminding people that the Portland Trailblazers, who, as it points out in the piece, finished 1-9 and nine to wrap up the regular season, putting themselves in prime position, headed into the lottery where they eventually land the third overall uh, pick in Scoot Henderson, a guy that people were talking about as a potential number one uh, or number two overall selection behind, obviously, Victor Webanyama. The Blazers and the Raptors had identical records at the trade deadline. Thank God we traded for Jakob Pertl. <laughs> oh, my God. They had identical records at the trade deadline, and the Raptors, I, I guess, took calls on OG Ananobi and, and maybe Pascal Siakam, and, and maybe Fred Van Vliet didn't pull the trigger on any, any of those trades, uh, diminishing themselves. Instead, acquired a player in Jakob Pertl for their 2024 first-round pick, which is top six protected. And it's not like Portland has established themselves as, as anything going forward. I mean, this could still blow up in, in their face, but that's that's quite an asset to get for a team on the come-up to, to, to go, get, go get a Scoot Henderson. Pairing Scoot Henderson with Scotty Barnes for the future of this Raptors team would be quite a quite a dynamic duo. Yeah, again, we haven't seen Scoot Henderson on, a, on an NBA court, but the, the Portland Trailblazers took a position at the deadline, and, and it worked out for them as far as acquiring the guy that they hope to acquire. This is a completely unfair way to look at it, but with you just hammering home, rightfully so, that it could have very well been Scoot Henderson that the Raptors ended up with. I don't know that there is a worse foil mm-hmm. in the world for Grady Dick than Scoot Henderson. It's like Grady Dick is like the silly guy yeah. who's a little wiry and loves to, you know, do weird TikToks. And Scoot Henderson looks like my dad. Like he yeah. is 
jacked. He is a man yes. already. It is the all-time worst just foil comparison. Mm. If Raptors fans are going to keep that one in their mind, eh, not going to go so well for, for old Grady there. This is just a hammering home of all the Raptors conversations we had leading into the deadline, post-deadline, all summer, this week about OG, this mushy middle land that they're living in, and it's the belief I think the Messiah has that he can turn the mushy middle into, not Kawhi Leonard again, but that trade, and it is... Hey, if you can do it, we've seen. It's a great way to live life. But man, in this in-between where it seems more and more uncertain that that's not going to happen, it is impossible not to look at the Trailblazers and the situation they're going to be in. And, you, you know, and again, would they have got for Pascal Siakam what the Blazers would have got for Damian Lillard? I don't think it would have been quite the return, but mm. it would have been pretty close. And you can just look at the path the two organizations will take. And mm. man, has a possibility to be very, very frustrating. And, and let me be clear. I don't think it's great that this is the situation that y you have to choose to be bad in North American pro sports. And that, you know, there is no premium on being a 500 team or attempting to be a slightly above average uh, pro sports team in any of the major North American pro sports. I think that sucks that you, you do have to be binary about it. Either you're going for a championship or you're going for the, the bottom of the standings, but this is the world we live in. And, and we, we live in a, in a lottery based um, draft situation in, in all of the pro sports outside of the NFL. But um, the, the Blazers, clearly understood that the future of their franchise was best served by doing what they did with Dame Lillard. Um, the problem with that is you can't have anybody reporting the explicit nature of it, um, which Chris Haynes has done. Also in this story, there's a little anecdote about their conversations with the Miami Heat and, quote, the Heat say they never had a legitimate opportunity to negotiate Throughout the process, they felt Portland allowed emotions to get in the way of business. <laughs> Lillard's camp believed it had become personal. So I, I, mean, I don't I, know what your read on that is. I have a very clear one. Yeah, what's that? How dare the Portland Trailblazers not let us steal Damian Lillard for nothing? That yeah. is disgusting of them. Their sweet Damian Lillard, who has just been nothing but a loyal soldier in Portland, he wants to come here and give him to us for nothing. Yeah. How dare you not play ball with that? It sounds like if they had an it sounds like they had an opportunity to negotiate. They were just not all that interested in it, is how that comes across to well, me. Well, and there is some reporting though that the the Heat might have upped their offer, could have in theory provided more draft pick compensation, could have could have gotten an, a third team involved, not unlike the Bucks did, and and outdone. Their trade proposal, but we're not allowed to do so because of the explicit nature of Dame Lillard's <laughs> agent saying, hey, he's going to the Heat, and that's the only place he's going, and the Blazers being upset that that might have killed their trade leverage. Here's I, I, I like to put on my, hey, what would I do in this situation okay. hat if I was a billionaire that owned a pro sports team and, you know. I, 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 oh, you'd you just so just for the record, everybody out there, I feel confident in saying this. Uh, you'd be evil billionaire. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Uh, or I'd at least be vengeful, <laughs> okay, bil billionaire, and specifically in this instance, like I don't, I don't think you become a billionaire without having that bone in your body Cut that throat. if this, if yeah. this, if this happened to you, and one of your employees said, "Get me the hell out of here," but don't get me the hell out of here to anywhere. Get me the hell out of here to South Beach and do it immediately. That you would say, "Hey, um, no." Uh, that's actually the one place that you won't be going, even if, even if there's a slightly better return 
on on trade to the Miami Heat. Like I understand being personal about this mm-hmm. entirely from the Blazers situation. Yeah, I think that that makes all the sense in the world, but I think uh, given all the chatter, and it's wrong to think this way, but I think if they were really trying to, uh, and you're right, maybe they're walking the line. It's not so much about screwing Dame. It's about not giving Miami what they want, but if they wanted to screw him, I think they would have sent him here, like just given all the conversations (laughs) we've had and everything, and I don't think that'd be terrible for him. I think Mm -hmm. he would, you know, we've we've talked this ad nauseum, but it does feel like that's more about uh, a screw you to Miami than it is to Dame, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think they took the best offer that wasn't from the Miami Heat. Yeah, that They're makes like, all hey, the, the Miami Heat, um, yeah, they have a reasonable offer. Might you know, might be if we included them in the conversation. Like, say we came back to the Miami, and I, I saw Dan Lembertard out of Miami mm. reporting this as well. That I mean, this is a guy that's been in that market for uh, yeah, decades and, in. and decades and decades. And I He's think probably I think done ten hours of podcasts with just Pat Riley. So, yeah, yeah, I think he so, might have some sources. I mean, the, the the Heat's belief is that hey, they didn't communicate with us at all, and actually, we we did feel like we could have outdone it, and and we were desperate to get Dame Lillard. We just were not given the opportunity. Which is it's tough for them, but again, I get it. If you're a billionaire, there's, you know, there's a reason you became a billionaire. It's because you hold grudges and and yeah, you you hold people to account. And it would have been maybe this is a lesson for the the next guy that asks out that maybe you make that conversation. I about only want to go to Utah. Yeah, maybe don't make that explicit. Like maybe maybe that is something that you have a, a conversation about mm, with just you you know your representative and the owner and the GM. Um, that doesn't become public because once it becomes public, yeah, it does kill their leverage, but it also, you might get a, a, a spiteful, vengeful owner who decides, no, you're not going there. But now you can also potentially treat this as having a one team, no trade list because mm-hmm. if, if like, oh, that's, true. that's why I say Utah, yeah, yeah. every <laughs> NBA guy now is going to come out saying, you know where the last place on earth I want to go is. Any team but Miami. Just that's, don't give me what I want 100%. at Miami. Yeah, so we're now just going to see the inverse where the Heater talked about is the most backwater, disgusting <laughs> franchise, and players would never, ever want to end up there. Don't you do me dirty mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. Portland. Yeah, that's what will happen. All right, when we come back, the Seattle Mariners stay alive, really. I mean, that was – they lose that that baseball game – to the Texas Rangers and the magic number is at one for the Toronto Blue Jays. Different deal. Instead, they walk it off in the bottom of the ninth. Blue Jays, of course, taking care of business against Luke Weaver and the Yankees. It's a two-game lead the Blue Jays have on the Mariners on the outside of the playoffs looking in. We'll talk to our pal John Morosi of MLB Network next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.